Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it, the Corner Three on 93.7 The Ticket. Glad you're along for the ride. I am Austin Norman. You hear me normally during On The Block, two to four weekdays here on 93.7 The Ticket. Also feature on Old School, four to six, every here and there. Good show with uh, Strick today. Went over a lot of NIL stuff. Uh, went back and forth with the text line. Y'all had some interesting stuff to say. Uh, so thanks for tapping in there. Uh, also ended up going over the best games that we attended in person. Plenty of college basketball flavor on mine, mostly Nebraska men's basketball. The two best games uh, that stand out to me, having been to for Nebraska basketball, are the, the 2019 game against Iowa. That one, Nebraska's down in the last couple minutes. Um, hit, hit some threes between uh, Glenn Watson Jr. and James Palmer Jr. to get the game sent to overtime. Uh, that was a team of you know, Luca Garza, Jordan Bohannon for Iowa. But it wasn't those guys that stepped up in overtime. It was Amir Harris hit a layup, a little floater with about 10, 11 seconds left. And then even before he became really a, a full cult hero, Thorir Thorbjarnarsson blocks Jordan Bohannon's last ditch uh, attempt from three. Would have been probably about a 28, 29 footer. But uh, Thor, the god of thunder, the iconic call, of course, uh, from Kent Bavelka. Those are a couple of my favorite college basketball games that I've ever been to. Um, you, you might wonder, well, what about an NCAA tournament memory? I've only been to one, and it was pretty sad, pretty crappy. It was Duke, Kansas uh, in the Elite Eight, and Wendell Carter Jr.'s feet were set. That's all I have to say. His feet were set. Roger Ayers, you know you missed the call. You haven't ever come out publicly and admitted it, but I know deep in your heart you admit it. That stinks, too. That's my first and only NCAA tournament experience. It was up in Omaha. I got there a little bit late, and I think it was it. I think it would have been Malik Newman. Yeah, Malik Newman, who transferred in from Mississippi State to Kansas, had the game of his life. That's that's the, the best way to phrase it. It had like 20-some points, most of them uh, in overtime. So no great memories for me from the NCAA tournament. But if you have a favorite college basketball game that you've attended, we will most definitely get to that. Send it in on the text line, 402-464-5685, or... If you're watching on any of our streams, you can send it in on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Drop a line. We will see it, and we will get to it on the show. Speaking of the show, what do we got to get to today? Uh, it's a busy one. I'm going to lead off with a prompt that we got from the text line last Friday. This would have been uh, during old school. Yeah, during old school on Friday. Uh, someone asked, uh, how do Duke's players compare to uh, North Carolina's in the NBA? Going back through that all time would have been a lot. So I did it pretty recently. Had to keep digging further than I thought I needed to, um, to find some stuff on uh, the school that wears the wrong color blue. Uh, so I'll get to that in just a second. And then Matt Landon will join. Appreciate the, the fellas hopping on. Uh, lots to get to with them as well. We'll go back through the NBA draft from the, the college perspective. Who are some of our favorite college players? Where'd they end up? Do we like those spots for them? Um, transfer drama in the news. Kentucky in and out of the transfer portal news. 
nationally. Um, they get one today in the form of Trey Mitchell. We'll dive into that. Javon Quinterly also out of the SEC uh, transfers out of Alabama with just you know a couple months before fall camp gets underway. So that's a little puzzling. We'll dive into that. And then also the, the G League and overtime elite route. Uh, again, a little Kentucky tie. Kentucky's recruited out of overtime elite a little bit. So we'll get into that, what it means for, for college basketball as a whole, what it means for the Cats. Um, that'll come up in the second segment. Again, 402-464-5685. Drop that favorite college basketball game that you've ever been to, and we'll get to that. But diving into the first order of business, Duke players in the NBA today versus North Carolina players in the NBA today. All time. Carolina has the best player. You can't really argue that. It's Michael Jordan. Yep, he went there. You can't say anyone at Duke has come close, really. Same stratosphere, same planet in terms of matching what Michael Jordan did. So if Carolina fans want to point back to that, okay, cool. I admit you have have that one on it. Right now, though, it's a Duke and Kentucky league. I was going back through just to see how many guys were on you know, current NBA contracts in the league right now. It shocked me to find there are 25 or 26 from Carolina, or 25 or 26 from Kentucky, rather, 25 from Duke, and nine players in the NBA from North Carolina. Obviously, nine's plenty out of the the 15-man rosters across the 30 teams. Nine out of 450 is a solid number, but compared to what Duke and what Kentucky are doing, that's insane. Completely different conversations to be having. Now, the next argument that could be thrown out by Carolina uh, for, for their players is, well, it's quality over quantity, right? There've got to be some absolute superstars in the NBA right now from North Carolina. No, no, plain and simple. That argument holds no water. The best player for Carolina in the NBA right now is between Harrison Barnes and Cam Johnson. I don't even think Cam Johnson fully counts. He started his career at Pittsburgh, transferred to Carolina for a year, did a good job, played a good role, but I don't give Carolina all that much credit for developing him, even though that's where he was you know, drafted out of. Harrison Barnes, as a one and done, I think uh, Carolina obviously gets credit for him. I don't know if he's at his peak anymore, though. So that's where it comes down to, do you want the you know, wily, crafty veteran in Harrison Barnes who knows how to play a role? Um, has definitely taken on a mantle of leadership in Sacramento. Or do you want, you know, the younger kind of modern age power forward in Cam Johnson, 6'10 sniper uh, from beyond the arc, traded, of course, from the Suns to the Nets um, as part of the Kevin Durant deal. But then once you get down from those guys, it's a whole lot of meh. At the guards, you have Kobe White and you have Cole Anthony. Neither of those are particularly inspiring. If you ask me, uh, Danny Green had his moment, still can play a small role, but not a star. Reggie Bullock wishes he could be Danny Green at this point. Uh, Nas Little, I don't know if that guy still learned how to shoot. No, solid defender. Uh, again, has a, a small role, but definitely not a star. Dayron Sharp didn't do much at all at North Carolina. He's hanging on to the Nets roster. And Theo Pinson, who just signed a one-year, just under $2 million deal to stay in, in Dallas. So yeah, Carolina, again, with those nine guys in the league, nothing to sneeze at, but where's the star talent? 
it's not there. Carolina hasn't developed an NBA star in quite some time. As part of the digging for this project, I went back and I I was going to compare all NBA selections between Duke and Carolina. The most recent all NBA selection out of Duke was this past season, Jason Tatum. Okay, he has made it a couple of years recently, you know, first second teamer. He's really good. That's the most recent one for Duke is this season. I'll give you a second on the text line because it'll take you a minute. It took me longer than I thought I was going to need to dig. Who's the last all NBA selection that went to college at North Carolina? Again, who's the last all NBA selection who attended college at the University of North Carolina? It's a name you know, you're familiar with it, but it was a long time ago. Plain and simple, this was a long time ago. Jason Tatum makes it this last year for Duke. The most recent All-NBA selection, Vince Carter. That's right, Vince Sanity, his airness. The most recent All-NBA selection back in 2001. The height of his powers, Vince Carter, 2001, the last All-NBA selection out of North Carolina. Okay, that's just one metric. What about the last All-Star selection? Okay, so for Duke, again, Jason Tatum, this last season, named an All-Star. Kyrie Irving's been in the mix recently as well. The most recent All-Star for the University of North Carolina is not Vince Carter. He made it in 2007, but a couple players made it one year after him. Anton Jameson and Rashid Wallace, the most recent NBA All-Stars out of the University of North Carolina back in 2008. That's kind of sobering. Obviously, Carolina, you know, has won a couple titles since 2008. We know what that program is. But for a basketball blue blood to have no all-NBA selections in two decades, to have no NBA All-Stars from 2009 on? Yikes. To bring it back home a little bit more, to focus on more of the modern-day players then, what would the starting lineups be for each of these schools in the modern NBA? For Carolina, the best lineup I could come up with at this point, Kobe White, Cole Anthony, again, Cam Johnson, who will throw in for the purpose of this debate, Harrison Barnes, and Dayron Sharp. You at least have a guy at each position that can do something. You could talk me into Danny Green over either Cole Anthony or Kobe White if you want a guy that can you know, be a little bigger, that can play the two, maybe slide up to the three. Reggie Bullock, maybe the younger version of Danny Green at the two and a half or the three. But then you compare that to what the Duke lineup would be. This, again, we can go back and forth. I'll get the other options in there in a sec. But the starting lineup for Duke that I came up with, Kyrie Irving, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Paulo Bancaro, and Mason Plumley. Again, for Duke, Kyrie Irving, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Paulo Bancaro, Mason Plumley. For Carolina, Kobe White, Cole Anthony, Cam Johnson, Harrison Barnes, and Dayron Sharp. That's not even a conversation. That Carolina team doesn't beat that Duke team a single time. Not once. It just doesn't happen. And then Duke has options on top of that. You might notice I didn't put, you know, recent all-star Brandon Ingram in my Duke starting lineup. He probably plays the four with Tatum at the three. I don't think Brandon Ingram could defend as much at the four long-term. That's why I put Bancaro in over him. 
Kyrie Irving, who knows what his availability is. Take him out of the lineup if you want. Throw in um, maybe Seth Curry. I, I think he's more of a two, though, but a good role player. You could throw in Austin Rivers, who's run some point in his NBA career. Uh, throw in my personal favorite, Tyus Jones, or his younger brother, Trey Jones, into that starting lineup. And there you go. There's a five. Other guys coming off the bench for Duke. Wendell Carter had a really solid under-the-radar last couple of years. R.J. Barrett, starting for a playoff team in the Knicks, needs to take a step forward, but he still counts. Gary Trent Jr., great 3 and D role guy. Well, mostly three, not, not nearly as much defense as Toronto wants on uh, their cavalcade of the 6'6 to 6'9 guys, but again, plays a role. Zion Williamson, I didn't even throw in the starting lineup for Duke. He's coming off the bench if he even makes the team. Uh, A.J. Griffin played a role at the Hawks. Mark Williams, I think his proto Derek Lively out there in Charlotte has a role to play. Uh, Grayson Allen did some good stuff for the Bucks this year, and we can get uh, more opinion from Matt on that uh, as the, the resident Bucks fan as we move into segment number two. But uh, again, a, a legit NBA rotation guy. Who, who's a better player, Grayson Allen or Reggie Bullock? I mean, we can have that debate if we want to, but how far down the list we have to go to get to Grayson Allen for Duke versus to get to Reggie Bullock for North Carolina? Woof. That is a tough conversation to have. Now, this is where I'm curious to see how North Carolina looks under Hubert Davis. I really am. Hubert Davis, you know, played in the NBA. He has that experience. He knows what the pathway is like, and he knows what it means to carve out a role as an NBA player. You know, knockdown long-range shooter was able to play that role. But I think it's been pretty obvious to tell that the talent level in, in North Carolina's program hasn't been at the same level as a Duke or Kentucky recently. Maybe if you go by the recruiting rankings, it's close. It's ballpark. And credit to Carolina for, you know, for the most part, before this year, getting the most out of those rosters. But once those guys leave college, they're not succeeding at the same level in the NBA. That's not to say, you know, I could beat them in a game or anything. Clearly, they're better than me, so don't take me to say they're scrubs. But relative to the competition level, what Duke is doing in getting guys ready for the NBA and succeeding in the NBA, it, to, it, there's no competition right now. Duke is further ahead of its tobacco road rival, North Carolina, and it's not close. Again, I think Hubert Davis can do some good stuff at North Carolina. I think he has that that knowledge, that intelligence, but also just, just that feel for what he needs to get out of guys in college, but also for how they'd be used in the NBA to be able to prepare them for that role that they'll play in the future. But dating back to, heck, even 2000, the number of Duke success stories is much higher than that of North Carolina. I mean, maybe the best player to come out of North Carolina in the 2000s, eh, maybe not 2000s, 15 years or so, Tyler Hansbrough, what did he do in the NBA? Not a whole lot. Fantastic college player, almost unimpeachable college resume, didn't do anything in the pros. Vince Carter, his longevity was incredible. His peak was incredible. But for the last you know, six, seven years of his career, was just kind of hanging on. Anton Jameson, shooting star. That was fun. Uh, Rasheed Wallace had a role to play. But there aren't even guys of that caliber in the NBA from North Carolina right now. Danny Green's probably the closest. Harrison Barnes might have had a case had he been able to stick in Golden State. But think about how Harrison Barnes was being talked about when he came out of high school, when he went to North Carolina. And he didn't develop to that Kevin Durant level. He had every chance to make it a conversation. 
for the Warriors to keep him or to move on from Kevin Durant. They didn't think twice about it. Kevin Durant developed a lot more in terms of a one-on-one game, a scoring game than Harrison Barnes did. Again, solid player, Harrison Barnes. But given what was on the table for him in his future potential, Harrison Barnes, I don't think, took that leap that Carolina's been looking for out of a player since, really, Vince Carter did it. Vince Carter, I think, is the closest thing to that star that North Carolina has had this millennium, dating back 20-plus years. And I don't think that's a hot take to say. I really don't. If you disagree, let me know, 402-464-5685 or on Twitter at Austin underscore Orman. Good stuff there. We're going to take a pause. We'll welcome in Matt and Landon on the other side. Again, lots to get to, including transfer portal drama uh, in the SEC, Kentucky and Alabama specifically. We'll first react to the NBA draft, and then we'll move on to the G League Ignite route and the overtime elite route. What does that mean for college basketball, how coaches and organizations approach it? You're listening to The Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. We are back and rolling here on the corner three, 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Welcome in, Matt Hardesty and Landon. Gentlemen, as always, thanks for being along for the ride. Um, Landon, I'm going to start with you with this one. Um, The best player from Oklahoma State in the NBA right now. Is that between Marcus Smart and Cade Cunningham? Anyone else in that discussion? It's Marcus Smart. I mean, I wish as the uh, deep, you know, Homer in me that wants, excuse me, Cade Cunningham to be great. I wish I could say Cade. Uh, Now I don't really know what's going on with him. He kind of sort of looks like he's just been living in the forest for the last, like, two years. I don't know what's up with his uh, recent attire, but I would have to say Marcus Smart. He's really carved out like a fantastic career for himself. And I would like to point out too, that the last, you know, really truly great iteration of the Memphis grit and grind Grizzlies were led by an Oklahoma state man and Tony Allen. Um, And now, you know, all these years later, they've acquired another in Marcus Smart that can do a lot of the same things. So I would have to say Marcus Smart. Matt, same thing to you about Kentucky. I feel like five years ago, we said it probably should have been Anthony Davis, but it's Devin Booker, isn't it? Uh, it's up there. First, I just want to point out, I think there's an equally interesting argument that Oklahoma State has had more successful guys in the NBA in the last 15 years than North Carolina has. Um, much like or much like Austin, though, I mean, yeah, there's there's some pretty good options to pick from. Uh, Devin Booker's certainly up there. Uh, personally, I kind of prefer Jamal Murray, especially with, you know, how he fought back through that injury and he's, you know, leading an NBA championship team. But then again, how much of that is, you know, getting to play next to one of the top three players in the NBA right now. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's either. I noticed mean, I yeah, you didn't Devin say Booker. number one Bucks fan. You didn't say number one. Are you still not willing to grant him that? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? You're you're a Bucks fan, so you're still not willing to give Jokic number one on the planet. Uh, I think it varies year to year at this point. Now, I mean, really, just depends on who's healthy. So, I'll give Jokic credit; he stayed healthy these last few years and had an unbelievable run. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not conceding number one to to him quite yet. Um, but yeah, I'd say either Anthony Davis or or uh, Oh, yeah, Devin Booker. Fair enough. Okay, 
going to throw a little curveball here just because I want to explore that argument more. Who were the Oklahoma State guys recently in the NBA outside of Cade and Marcus Smart? Because I really want to dig into this because we can knock Carolina down another peg. I'm here for it. This is a great um, on-the-fly exploratory topic. I'm going to need a little bit. um, (laughs) I'm going to need a second to really think about this because there isn't really, I mean, outside of a few waters. Yeah, that's another. Lindy Waters is on the Thunder. That's a good call. Uh, He's actually kind of a guy that surprised me, you know, sort of cracking into a a rotational guy. But who knows what the Thunder are going to look like next year. That's a tough one. Um, ah, I mean – I don't know. It's, it's sort of just a lot of eh aside from that though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've got the great shining example of Marcus smart there, but other than that, it's and Cade, of course, but we're still sort of waiting on what Cade Cunningham could develop into. But other than that, it's, it's sort of sparse, but I mean, you can make an argument there that the two headlining guys are better than what North Carolina's done in the last, you know, 15 years. Marcus smarts, a all defensive player uh, and Cade Cunningham can be great. We're just sort of waiting on that thing, you know, health wise. So I don't know. I mean, other than that, it's, it's very, very sparse. Was there yeah, anyone Anderson had a good run. That's about all I can find. I guess maybe I jumped the shark on that. I just thinking about, you know, between, I don't know, between Cade and his potential and then yeah, Marcus smart though. I'd still like high end talent. I'd take that over North Carolina's high end guys right now. Yeah. Okay, for each of your schools, who's the one guy you thought was going to have a great NBA career that didn't make it then? Ooh. Uh, Duke, I'll start with Duke, as you think. I, for me, it's Kyle Singler in that 2010 team. He was either a few years too late or a few years too early, kind of 6'6", never really got the jump shot ironed out. I thought he had more ball creation skills uh, you know, than he actually ended up having in the NBA. I, I knew that Jaleel Okafor wasn't going to make it. The NBA was moving so far away from where he was going. But even bigger than those two guys, the biggest surprise for me is Marvin Bagley. Uh, that's a guy I thought his athleticism would get him by, had enough ball handling. Um, but again, never learned to shoot, got banged up. And I, I really do think some of the pressure got to him. Plus, you know, Sacramento. So <laughs> that's my excuse for Marvin Bagley. Yeah, he seemed to have some... Fox. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but Bagley seemed to have some off-court issues in Sacramento too. Weren't there instances of his family members sort of getting involved with King's Brass? That seemed like a very messy situation. Um, yeah, Bagley family getting involved with the basketball <laughs> programs a little too closely. <laughs> uh, but for me, uh, anyways, at Oklahoma State, I would say that the two guys for me that stand out in recent years are uh, Markel Brown, who I think actually was, um, he did like kind of sort of pop up on some NBA active rosters, uh, but man, he was so fun to watch in college. That was like uber athletic. He had so like some of like the greatest in-game dunks I've ever seen in person. Mm-hmm. Just his athletic ability, the way he could jump, he really did become more than a dunk or two and rounded out his offensive game uh, into, you know, a guy that could pour in 15 points a night. So I was really surprised that he didn't really make it in the NBA. Um, and then also Cam McGriff, uh, sort of on a similar line on those 2018, 2019 teams was a similar sort of guy. And I'm really kind of surprised that he, um, you know, didn't make it either. Uh, but those would be the two for me. Um, the, yeah, I guess for me, 
I'd say that the two that come to my mind right away are James Young. Just because, I mean, of all the, he's one of the few Kentucky one and done guards, along with like Archie Goodwin, which again, his team struggled though. And then a couple others, but James Young is the one that really comes to mind of, especially getting drafted by Boston, right? As part of that young core with Marcus Smart that Brad and Isaiah Thomas that Brad Stevens was building. And he just, you know, I don't know if it was lack of offense or injuries or what, but he never really caught on in the NBA. And then the other one was I, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I'd say, is the big one in that. He was, you know, number one. He was, I don't know if in the final rankings if he was as highly rated as Anthony Davis, but he was up until pretty much going into college, he was considered their number one recruit in that class. And he was the, the de facto leader on that Kentucky team. And then Michael Jordan just ruined him in Charlotte. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's, he stayed a lot around in the NBA, but for a number two pick, I really, I thought he could have carved out a, a much bigger role in the NBA than he did. Really quickly, Austin, I am going to say, I cannot believe you did not bring up Michael Jordan's horrible, horrible tenure as majority <laughs> owner of the Charlotte Bobcats slash Hornets as a slight to North Carolina. You were pulling out all the receipts. I loved it. I was here for all the pettiness. <laughs> Why didn't you mention the fact that he is like, for how great he was as a player, arguably just a horrible, horrible owner. Charlotte like has accomplished nothing, uh, arguably probably even more irrelevant than they were before he like purchased a majority stake in the team. That's hard to do. So, it, like you're Michael Jordan. So, I mean, I, we got to count that as a, a check mark against North Carolina here. For and they ruined players. some good, they ruined some really good players too in that that time. I mean, some of the college favorites, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Frank Kaminsky didn't work out, but Michael <laughs> Kidd Gilchrist, Kemba Walker, who, I mean, he turned out to have an okay career, but he could have done, done way more. So it's, it's not even just that they Malik Monk, that's another one who he's you know, starting to bounce back in a different location. They just kind of chewed up some of these guys and spit them out. To, to, to that point, there were discussions here around 93.7 The Ticket as to Michael Jordan's tenure when the sale went through. And it's still hilarious to me that he sold the team but made the picks. So whoever, however Brandon Miller and um, Nick Smith work out goes on Michael Jordan's resume because it has to. Um, he did own a team. And it's tough to do. I would love to count as a check mark against him because like, he's Michael Jordan. How come he can't identify talent? You know, he should be better at it. If they weren't good, he at least tried. I mean, we haven't had a lot of former NBA players control as much of an NBA team as he did. So maybe he just made the mistake of going into ownership instead of going into coaching. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have been a great coach either. But I think being an owner was even more public with all that wealth for doing it in Charlotte, you know, close to back home. And he, he not that Charlotte's ever been great. So I think that's a tough situation for him to walk into uh, you would hope that the michael jordan pedigree would be enough to you know hey get free agents in the door to learn business acumen for michael jordan to to you know rub elbows with greatness on a day-to-day -day basis but i'm willing to count it as a failure <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to do that i don't have to twist my arm about that so that's a great point um real quick on the text line uh chris says 
uh, for the best college basketball game he's ever been to, 1988 Nebraska versus Kansas in Lincoln. That uh, 88 Kansas team, of course, Danny and the Miracles, uh, the team that made it all the way to the national championship game and ended up winning it. Uh, Nebraska down double digits in the second half. Uh, you go to Hackahawk. Uh, Kansas misses a lot of front ends. Uh, Nebraska ends up winning that game 70 to 68. Um, best college basketball game you guys have ever been to. Let's throw that one out there. I think that'll be fun. I never let you go first because I was really hoping earlier that Austin would not ask me this. I have to think about it. Yeah, well, I'll, I, I I sort of need to rack my my brain a little bit too. Um, I'll, I'll, I, I can fill I'll do two quickly. I'll do two quickly. Yeah. Um, for significance, just because of what all transpired after, I feel like the most impactful back college basketball game I've been to in my entire life was March 12, 2020. Uh, Matt was there as yeah. well. Uh, in Indianapolis, uh, Nebraska's first game of the Big Ten tournament against Indiana, just because of like what that night meant in the general like scheme of like life and like what happened afterwards and how much like changed. So that was one that sticks out for me. But on a lighter note, uh, I went to the 2018 NCAA tournament in Wichita with my folks. I didn't go on a senior spring break. Uh, my parents took me to Wichita and I caught a quadruple header of games. Uh, the morning session, KU played barf. Um, but the afternoon, the first game of the afternoon session uh, was Houston and San Diego State, and it was a tie game, and Rob Gray uh, got to the bucket and hit a buzzer-beating layup, uh, and I was there for that. So that was probably the best one I've ever been to. That was a really great game, and the NCAA tournament is so much fun. Uh, I definitely need to go back. So, you know, aside from, like, all the Oklahoma State Big 12 tournament games I've been to, because, like, obviously those were cool, too, not only to see OSU play, but to see guys like Trey Young play live, that was pretty neat. But as far as the best one, that one sticks out for me. Was that right before Jordan Poole walked off Houston then? Yes, that was the next Ooh. game. I was back home that weekend. I was in uh, Overland Park uh, at a friend's house watching that. So we did not stay for the full weekend. We were just there for the first night. But the late, the late game that night was uh, Michigan. Uh, they were playing Montana, I believe. And that was the year that Michigan went. I think they were a three seed and went on a run to the final four when really kind of nobody was talking about them going into the tournament. That was Mo Wagner's team. Uh, and they were awesome. And I picked them to the final four. So it was cool. Like, watch them. And they looked really bad. And then they ended up going on that run from there after Jordan Poole made that shot. So Memories. All right, Matt, you're not getting off the hook. <laughs> okay. I've in the time that Lynn was talking, I've thought of seven different games. <laughs> <laughs> I, tried, I tried to fill just for that very reason. So, <laughs> Oh gosh. I would love to actually do this in a different week when things are a little quieter news wise of just like the worst, ugliest games we've been to specifically Nebraska related <laughs> Oh, we, we've sat through some doozies. Um, uh, just off the top of my head, I think the favorite one I've ever been to would have been Kentucky UCLA in 2015 at the United Center in Chicago. Uh, that was the Devin Booker, uh, Harrison Twins, 38 and one team. And Kentucky was up 41 to seven at halftime. So that, <laughs> Not that. I, I've never seen like just a pure domination in a game, especially against a UCLA team that had, you know, multiple future NBA players, Kevon Looney, I think scored four of the seven points in that first half for UCLA. Uh, so that's probably the most memorable. Um, also for Kentucky, I was at less happy memories, but Kentucky Auburn 2019 in Kansas city, elite eight, uh, brutal ending, but it was a great, great game. And I just remember I got tickets, you know, 
the day before to that game because Kansas and North Carolina were both in that region and Auburn knocked both of them off. So I got lower level tickets for like 50 bucks. I was like, okay, let's go to this. And it was all just random locals there. And I was, I was cheering pretty hard. And then they're like, what's your deal? And then by like halfway through the second half is these teams are trading punches. They're like, yeah, I get it now. So I, I always <laughs> enjoy that. Um, likewise, 2019 Auburn, Virginia final four. I really don't remember much of that game besides the crazy ending where I was sitting on the Auburn side and thought that game was over and Auburn was in the title game for like two minutes until I saw Kyle guy shooting free throws. So that was for pure craziness. Um, then a couple other ones I put down Purdue, Iowa state, 2017, Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace had a, I think Carson Edwards was on that team too. I'm not sure. They, they Purdue had some ballers and Iowa state that was in Steve Prom's still in his heyday. They had, I think still Yang was on that team or uh, no. Burton. <laughs> Burton had a couple big dunks in that game. I remember. And it was just another awesome second round NCAA tournament game that Purdue won. And then also Texas, Air, Texas versus Arizona state, 2014, uh, random seven ten game I was at at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Uh, Texas won on a buzzer beater putback. I remember that game. Right. Late night game. Actually, not that many people stayed because Michigan was the earlier game. So all their fans left. But that game, very fun. Uh, Illinois Northwestern in the 2019 uh, Big Ten tournament. I'm putting that for sickos purposes. It was like single or double overtime. I had finished writing up James Palmer Jr.'s big game over Rutgers right before that. And that game was awesome, especially because pretty good crowd since it was two local teams. Um, and then the last one, I had to throw a Nebraska one in there. This is the only one that really could come to mind, but it would have been the 2017-18 year Nebraska at Creighton. Nebraska didn't win that game. They kind of blew it, but unbelievable game. Just well played by both teams. Marcus Bleeping Foster, yep. the one three one that changed the game. It still haunts me to this day. This is the corner three here on 93.7 The Ticket. I'm Austin Norman, joined by Matt Hardesty and by Landon Wirt. All right, guys, the news of the day that we're going to get to, the transfer portal popping <laughs> off. Let's start with the addition to Kentucky's roster and Trey Mitchell. Uh, Landon, we'll start with the scouting report from you. You watched him at West Virginia. Uh, what do you make of Trey Mitchell's game? Yeah, I didn't really realize this, but he cooked Oklahoma State this year. He had a season-high 22 points uh, when they played in Morgantown and West Virginia won uh, by like 25 points. That was the height of the Oklahoma State slump. But Trey Mitchell's a really, really fine player. He poured in about 11 and a half a game on a West Virginia team that by all accounts was super, super balanced last year. They kind of, I don't know if snuck under the radar is the right word, but they never really had a year where they were like in the top 15, top 10, making those big climbs, but they were just a very steady team last season. Uh, and Trey Mitchell is the sort of player that can kind of keep an offense afloat during a drought. And what I mean by that is he's the sort of guy that can really get to the basket. He's pretty good in transition. He can run the floor, uh, Nice, solid slasher and driver, but West Virginia also used him a lot last year in back-to-the-basket situations, so he's another guy that, like, get the ball in the in the low block and the high block and the post and sort of operate. He's a lefty, which is cool. Uh, mm -hmm. so nice, nice little smooth 
or no, he's not a lefty, but he can finish with the left hand. He's a right, he's a right-handed shooter, but you find plenty of clips of him online. I, I wrote down lefty because I saw a cool clip of him, of him finishing with the left-handed hook. But he's he's pretty ambidextrous. He can, you know, use his right and left hand around the rim. Got nice touch uh, and a really nice piece, um, especially because Kentucky in stretches last year had instances where the three uh, was not falling and options sort of ran out offensively. So in instances like that, when they happen, because they happened with Kentucky, but they happen with every team. Uh, it's a really nice piece to have an, an experienced player. Uh, so a really, really great pickup for, for Calipari. And what a gift to fall into your lap at, you know, on June 26th, like that, that stuff just doesn't happen. So uh, obviously an unfortunate set of circumstances that led to that, but what a great pickup for Cal. Yeah, they really, uh, they, they kind of lucked out with this one that he became available, especially that a player with, you know, as much experience as Trey Mitchell has, who also just happened to be coached uh, previously. I think his AAU coach goes way back with John Calipari. And Mitchell's also a Pittsburgh guy, just like Coach Cal is from the area as well. So there were a lot of ties. Um, And frankly, for Kentucky, from my point of view, is they've got an insurance policy now. There's all sorts of rumors swirling about Aaron Bradshaw's health. Uh, Shams reported a couple Fridays ago, nice little news dump that he was going to be out four to six months with a foot injury. And then uh, Aaron Bradshaw went on Instagram live and was saying four to six weeks. So no one really knows what to expect with that. But if he's not ready to go, this is the guy that, I mean, can step up there and, you know, take those minutes. And honestly, they needed probably another, you know, someone that's, a proven off- offensive threat because you've got Ugana in that front court who kind of his, his main forte is going to be blocking and rebounding. He's just massive wingspan, still a little raw on the offensive end. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw is kind of more of a, you know, he's a big guy, but he's going to probably play the four if he plays next year and he can shoot, um, but still not sure. He's still kind of a lanky, wiry guy. Know, needs to add a little kind of reminds me of Damian Collins like in terms of his build except for a little taller and with a handle so and then there's a possibility that they might add Santo surreal from the overtime elite and he's just a, a tank but also kind of unproven on the offensive end so Trey Mitchell is a guy that you know if you really need some production in the paint that's your guy so I, I think that's a, a huge insurance policy that they badly needed we only have about five minutes left here before we got to hit a break and have heart of a Husker following us. Um, a couple things. The other news of the day, we can touch on this more when he commits. That's Javon Quinterly headed to a third school, uh, fifth year player. He'll be 25, uh, 2023, sixth man of the year in the sec transferring out of Alabama this late. Absolutely fascinating. But again, we'll dive into more of his, his story uh, when he commits the overtime elite stuff I want to get back to as well, but, the more pressing matter, I think, out of Kentucky, Matt, is the, the transfer portal drama, especially <laughs> as it relates to the backcourt with Antonio Reeves. That's been a, a saga of a non-saga, is really what it's felt like from the outside. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have probably gotten annoyed by my constant updates of, you know, what I'm seeing on, like, random Twitter accounts. Because it was back and forth. I mean, it was he was enrolled in classes at Illinois State, and then Oh, he's coming back, but it was like he pulled his name out of the NBA draft, but, you know, never really announced that he was coming back to Kentucky. And then 
I don't think he even announced that he was coming back to Kentucky. He just moved back into his dorm and started going to team events again. And that was it. And Kentucky confirmed to whoever was asking from the media that, yeah, no, he's, he's back. He's on the team now. There's never any actual word from him. So just a bizarre situation that honestly, I don't blame Reeves for looking for a different spot. Cause again, you're bringing in DJ Wagner and Rob Dillingham. So you got to kind of guards that have similar skill sets. I don't know if any of them are going to be as good of a shooter as Reeves can be, but still they're going to take a lot of minutes and Reeves isn't quite big enough to play the three. Neither are Dillingham or Wagner. So he might have to be a bench player, but he didn't do enough this year to really warrant going pro. So if, I think for him, the best thing he could do is really come back, do whatever this team needs because, you know, your best chance at setting yourself up for life is to make as much money as you can this year and then hope for great team success. Cause if you, if you're a final four, a national champion team at Kentucky, you're going to get plenty of opportunities that you won't get if you've, your only experience was losing in the second round to Kansas State. The The thing about this saga for me is it's, it's a good get for Kentucky to get him back. That experience, that that three-point shooting ability is huge. But we're all in the, the media journalism game yeah. in and around it, and we have been. So given that this went crazy, when it ended up being a whole nothing burger, you know, by the end, he never left Kentucky. He's still at Kentucky. Who's to blame? Is it Antonio Reeves for not putting a message out there? Is it, you know, national reporters for running with something they weren't sure about? Was it, you know, the smaller Twitter accounts for throwing random stuff out in the wind? Why did this blow up so much? I have, I, I think it was just, I don't think it's coincidence that the national media members were really kind of running with this. I think, and I heard it best, I forget who I heard say this, but Someone equated it to both sides were really kind of playing chicken with each other on the matter of, you know, there were NIL demands, there were role demands, things like that. And uh, Kentucky did the right thing. It's, it's worth noting they haven't pursued any guards in the transfer portal uh, this, this whole offseason. Uh, I think in the end, though, I, there was issues with he wasn't able to – his credits from Illinois State didn't – transfer over for him to be able to graduate and be a grad transfer for that two-time transfer rule. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever really know the the whole story on it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's in the past now. And it's honestly, it's a reminder to me. I think it was just kind of crazy irresponsible that people like Jeff Goodman, when they're tweeting out their further, you know, you need your engagement and you're tweeting out your list of, you know, top available transfers. And then you, include a guy that's not in the transfer portal as a top available transfer. It just, I don't know. I think we're at the point with all these insiders and just the state of it all that, you know, we don't, we don't need to know the day by day updates on some of these decisions. Like I'd rather just be in the dark and then let them make a decision and not know anything. Cause it, the fact of the matter is these are still people, either young adults or, teenagers their their minds are going to change it's just like recruiting so i i'm almost to the point where the less i know the better yeah real real uh real tough week for jeff goodman then <clears throat> with uh how with kentucky landing uh trey mitchell and then antonio reeves yeah you know everything with kentucky just quickly tends 
kind of to get sensationalized, especially in recent years with like how Kentucky's seasons have sort of ended and, you know, the preseason fanfare this year with Oscar Sheboy coming back and not necessarily meeting some of those, pre- some of those preseason expectations and the NCAA tournament, which, you know, obviously no shame in losing to that Kansas state team, but not what was expected preseason the year before that losing to St. Peter's. But I feel like there were some national reporters you brought up, Jeff Goodman, that sort of seemed to enjoy the fact that Kentucky was going through this sort of process. Uh, and of course, there's been a lot of discussion about Cal, his his job. And I think people were really wanting to run with the idea that, oh, look, Kentucky's bringing going to bring in this team of like eight freshmen and no experience at the college level. Like this is going to be bad. But, you know, <laughs> including Antonio Reeves in that list of transfers really was just something else. And the fact that it was repetitive like that sort of felt intentional. So it's just yep. sort of funny to see how see how all of this is played out and to see some guys like that kind of just have egg on their face. It's a very, very funny, funny ordeal. And I think it should also be noted, especially, I mean, we've all been around college basketball programs and I mean, it, you can kind of tell, you know, how based on how national media members talk about certain coaches, you know, why they talk about certain coaches. And it really comes down to, if this coach is nice to them and gives them access, they'll gas them up. I think that's why you hear a lot about Nate Oates and, and Eric Musselman. And honestly, even Bill Self has always treated the media well, too. Whereas John Calipari, he's, I mean, one of the big things, Matt Jones at Kentucky Sports Radio has been harping for years that he doesn't get interviews with Cal anymore like he used to. And he doesn't talk to as many national media people. The only real national media interview I saw him give this offseason was to John Fanta of all people, which was kind of random. And I think it's just another reminder that some of these coaches, it really comes down to, you know, for these, especially our good friend, John Rothstein as well. Like you get talked about more if you're nice to these guys, but if you just kind of ignore them or don't give them any scoops or anything, or if your staff doesn't, then they'll be quick to pounce on you if they uh, hear any scuttlebutt. Our good friend, John Rothstein, but not your good friend, John Rothstein. And that, that's a matter for a different show. We'll yeah. get into that. We, we do have to get to a break. Matt and Landon, thanks for jumping on. Appreciate you guys as always. Uh, we'll do it again next week. We'll take a break here on the corner three. We'll wrap it up really quick. Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Back with for just another minute or two here on the corner three. I am Austin Orman. Big thanks to Matt and to Landon for jumping on. Uh, throw a curveball at them, but as always, they're pros. They just really appreciate them and what they do here on the show. Uh, to wrap things up, uh, quick little college world series update 10 to 2 LSU over Florida in the fourth inning. Looks like LSU was able to flush last night's 24 to 4 debacle and move on pretty well. Uh, Last college basketball note, since this is the college basketball show, we did mean to get to a little bit of NBA draft, but got carried away with fun stuff, so that's okay. In terms of the college players in the NBA draft, the fits that I like. I like Taylor Hendricks to the Jazz. I think he can develop into something fun, maybe a year or two away in terms of what his body looks like, but I think he can be a really solid 3 and D wing, maybe at the 3, probably at the 4 long term. I really like that for Utah. Derek Lively going to the Mavs, absolutely. Low usage, uh, defense first, big man to play with. uh, At least Luka Doncic, maybe Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think he'll give Mavs fans some big Tyson Chandler vibes, uh, but maybe be a little springier. Um, on the defensive end. 
Jordan Hawkins to the Pelicans out of UConn. He shot like 40% from three in college. I think that's a fantastic get for the Pelicans. Does need to fill out his body a little bit again, but solid player, solid piece for them. I like that addition. Jaime Jaquez going to the heat. That just makes absolutely perfect sense. Uh, perfect heat culture type of guy. We'll see if they can get the most out of him there. Uh, Colby Jones going to the Hornets. I really like that. Again, a low usage three and D type of guy needs to shoot it to be able to stick in the league, obviously. Uh, and that's a question then for Andre Jackson Jr. as well, going to the Bucks. Kind of a playmaking point forward type of guy played a huge role for UConn as they went on throughout uh, the NCAA tournament, ultimately winning it. But I think that's a really fascinating fit for both the Bucks and for Andre Jackson Jr. Well, that'll do it for this week on The Corner 3. If you want to listen back to anything, didn't catch it all, make sure you check out the podcast. That'll be up for you shortly. Wherever you get your podcast, check out the archive broadcasts on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. That'll do it for me. On the other side, we'll turn it over to the captain. That's right, Rashawn Jackson hopping on stream. He'll be with you from 8 to 9. You got Heart of a Husker. It's part of Ticket Weeknights here on 93.7 The Ticket. Thanks for listening. Heart of a Husker comes your way next. Thank <laughs> you.